the world is talking. World Talk Radio, Studio A. Wherever Lee's Army of Northern Virginia was fighting the hardest, there it seemed you would find General Robert E. Rhodes. We'll talk more with Rhodes' biographer, Daryl Collins, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. When I was 12, my father was killed in an industrial accident at a vacant lot where he worked. My mother insisted I stay in the highway on-ramp to get an education. So she took a job uh, waiting tables at a parking garage to support us. She worked double shifts, and on her break, she would pick me up from the highway on-ramp and drop me off at the big office building, and I'd spend hours and hours just reading books. I remember every Saturday we'd have breakfast at the parking garage, and I'd tell her what I had read, and her eyes would just light up (laughs) because she knew I'd end up in college. Not working at the vacant lot. Like my dad. When we lose a historic place, we lose a part of who we are. To learn how you can help protect places in your community, visit nationaltrust.org. History is in our hands. A message brought to you by the National Trust for Historic Preservation and the Ad Council. Hey, y'all. This is Stephen Cochran. As a country artist, I have traveled around this great country of ours, often meeting our brave men and women in uniform. And as a Marine and veteran of both the Iraq and Afghan conflict, I know how important it is to thank our troops who defend our freedom each and every day. One of the best ways to thank them is to give their children and spouses the gift of education. Scholarships for two years, four years, and vocational school. This is exactly what a national charity, Thanks USA, does. Please go to their website, www.thanksusa.org, to make a generous donation to the Thanks USA Scholarship Fund for the families of the troops, and I thank you. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and we're talking today with the biographer of Major General Robert Rhodes of Lee's Army of Northern Virginia. That biographer is Daryl Collins, and he and I have been discussing Rose's career up through the Battle of Antietam. Uh, and we were just about to talk about Rhodes's relationship with a local North Carolina man, Brian Grimes, uh, for whom the town of Grimesland, not far from Greenville, is named. And uh, it looked like Grimes and, and Rhodes seemed to have a hard time getting along, according to what I read. Uh, how, how did that work out for those two? Uh, yes, as I was saying, they had a, a somewhat stormy relationship. Uh, it, it began when uh, uh, Lee was shifting his army over to meet the threat developing at Fredericksburg, and D.H. Hill, the division commander, had gone on leave, and so it was up to Rhodes to bring up the division and get it on its way toward Fredericksburg. And Rhodes, being the strict disciplinarian that he was, he insisted on following all of Jackson's uh, orders to the letter, which included stacking arms at every halt. And so he came upon Brian Grimes, whose men were crossing their, uh, the, the, the river, and they hadn't stacked arms before they were to move on. And he, he gave him a hard time about that. And it was, seemed like a trivial affair, but it soured relations between the two men for about a year and a half. 
And it, it didn't really resolve itself until uh, the battle at Harris Farm uh, right after Spotsylvania when uh, uh, Brian Grimes' defense had helped save the uh, position Ewell had taken. And Rhodes was so impressed with that, he shook Brian Grimes' hand and told him, you deserve the thanks of the nation. And he put in uh, his endorsement to have uh, Grimes promoted to uh, to Brigadier General. And that smoothed over the, the rough affair they'd had up until then. I, I, there was another incident where, where Grimes starts having the men stack arms, and Rhodes says, don't do that. Says, oh, you got on me last time I didn't do that, and yeah. I'm going to do it there. Yeah. It's quite petty, but uh, anyone who's worked in any organization uh, uh, can probably recall similar things. You told me to do it this way last time, and I'm going to do it that way. Yeah. Uh, One of know. my favorite stories, if I can add, about Yes, Grimes, please. Uh, occurred at Chancellorsville. Now, this was on May 3rd the day after uh, the, the flank attack, and Rhodes' division started out that day in reserve, and when the attack bogged down, uh, Jeb Stewart, acting Second Corps commander, instructed Rhodes to come up to the front line and take over the offense. And Rhodes did, and his right flank, where Ramser's brigade was uh, positioned, got into some trouble, and Rhodes came over to see what was going on, and Ramser was in a tough fight, and these uh, Virginia troops had refused to come out of their position and help him. And so Brian Grimes, he had been wounded and just carried to the rear, and he woke up in time to hear, and this is Grimes' own account, he woke up to hear Rhodes yelling at this Virginia officer to get his men up and moving, and when the officer refused, he saw Rhodes pull a pistol, point it at the, the officer's head, and threaten to blow out his brain if he didn't move it. And without Grimes... Uh, preserving that story, I think it's one of the more colorful stories in the book. Without Grimes, I wouldn't have had that interesting story to uh, add to the Chancellorsville. Now, at Chancellorsville, uh, Rhodes is, is in Stonewall Jackson's Corps, uh, one of the two two corps of, of the Confederate Army. And as everybody knows, Jackson is mortally wounded, and then uh, A.P. Hill, the division commander, is wounded. Yes. And that means command of the entire corps devolves on the senior brigade commander, uh, who is Rhodes. Right. Yeah. But Rhodes, uh, does he actually exercise command of the corps for any length of time? Well, the first thing he did was to call a meeting with uh, the surviving uh, division commanders, and they decided that Jackson wanted to maintain the attack that night and to keep pushing. They decided that wasn't a good idea that they would hold their men in position and resume the attack in the morning. And the second thing they decided was not to try to shorten the line. What they learned yesterday, the, the previous day, was attacking on a division-wide front led to endless chaos. Well, they decided it would take too long. The men were too tired. They would leave them in line. Those were Rhodes' two main decisions, which when Jeb Stewart came in and took over the Second Corps, he backed up. He says those were the right decisions to make, and he held to those. So Rhodes had command of the Second Corps for only a few hours, in effect. But the decisions he made were those that Jeb Stewart ultimately abided by. Now, Stonewall Jackson, though, though wounded, is, is still able to... Is it Jackson or Lee who, who puts Stewart in command? Uh, do you know? Well, it was... Um, Officers in the Corps felt that Rhodes probably wasn't the best man for the job, so they went to Lee and said, we think it would be a good idea to have Stewart in command. And Lee authorized it. It was early in the morning, something like 2 or 3 in the morning, that he authorized uh, Jeb Stewart to take over 
Well, and that, that gets to the, the underlying question. Stuart is, is, of course, a high-ranking commander, but he's a cavalry officer, and it's unusual in, in the Civil War to find a cavalry officer appointed to command an infantry corps uh, over the head of, in this case, the senior infantry commander, uh, Rhodes. So the question is why, uh, but you suggest uh, other officers didn't have full confidence in Rhodes? And that was an issue of controversy for many years. Did Rhodes make the right decision? He didn't have to. According to Army regulations, he didn't have to seat command to Stuart. But as Rhodes elaborated in his report, I mean, he was very proud of the fact that he made this sacrifice. He thought it was for the best because Stuart was better known than him. The men would have more confidence in him. But the controversy remained. There were those who thought Rhodes should not have given up the command, others who thought he was not the man for the situation. And so it's interesting. It's not something we think about today as a controversy, but back then it certainly was uh, discussed for some years after the war. So he does yield command, though he doesn't need to. He, now, it's after this battle he said that he was promoted to major general. Yes. And he commands a division in the Gettysburg Campaign. Uh, most of our listeners know the outlines of the, the story of Gettysburg, and they'll remember that on the first day it was uh, the, the Union 11th Corps, the Howard's uh, German-American troops who were routed. Uh, so Rhodes uh, and Rhodes takes part in that. Yep. So you've got Rhodes beating the beating up the 11th Corps two battles in a row. Uh, but I, I thought it was interesting to read about the the campaign before Gettysburg. There was fighting at places other than. Gettysburg on that campaign. Yes, uh, Rhodes had the assignment to take Martinsburg, for example, and I think that's where one of his shortcomings first reveals itself. I mean, he's a, he's assigned to take Martinsburg. There couldn't have been half as many Federals uh, there as he had, and yet he insisted on waiting until his entire division was deployed before he moved against the Federal positions, by which time they weren't going to wait around for him to spring his trap. They left. And that, I think, was one of his shortcomings as an offensive commander, is that he refused to act until he had his entire strength up, organized, and deployed. When he did attack, he attacked with unrivaled ferocity, but he insisted on waiting until his whole command was up before he would move. And I think that cost him a couple of times. Sort of like, like George Thomas on the Union side, but maybe less less fortunate or less successful. Yeah. Now, after Gettysburg, uh, you know, as time runs short, we'll skip ahead a little bit. Uh, he is once again, Rhodes is once again involved in uh, uh, the Overland Campaign and the fighting in the wilderness and the fighting at Spotsylvania, and once again he's in the, the worst of it. He is. He's at the Mule Shoe in uh, Spotsylvania, he takes the, the full brunt of uh, two major attacks against the mule shoe. Uh, his line is broken on one of the attacks, on both, really. And he was, I think, brilliant there in uh, shifting his brigades. I, I say it's like a chess player, where he moves Ramser's brigade, for example, over two pieces or two spaces and one up to fill a gap. And, and he was just brilliant there. And he gets a lot of credit for that from. Uh, his contemporaries. Although Lee, General Lee, seemed to express a certain disappointment. He did when uh, Dole's brigade was overrun. He thought uh, Rhodes perhaps hadn't been adequately prepared. 
And I contend that perhaps Lee at that particular point didn't yet fully understand the nature of the attack against the mule shoe. It was a, a dense column attack that was just like a huge knife thrust right through uh, Dole's. And uh, they did stop it and threw it back, but Lee seemed displeased that the Dole's brigade was overrun in the first place. I think somewhat unfairly. Well, the... Uh in the aftermath of, of of that battle, early uh, Lee detaches Early's force to go back in the Shenandoah Valley and try to distract Grant with uh, the raid into the north. And Rhodes participates in that as well. Uh, so he gets awfully close to Washington, D.C. in the summer of 64. They could see uh, the Capitol Dome from his position, and he uh, actually uh, launched an attack at... Fort Stevens, which is now the Walter Reed Medical Center location. And so, yes, they got very close. In fact, they had a, a dinner the day before the attack at one of the abandoned houses nearby, and they were toasting each other on the success of their mission and how much money they were going to liberate from the U.S. Treasury. And they were joking with Breckinridge about resuming his seat as the uh, president of the Senate and so on. So they fully expected to, to take the city the following day. But reinforcements... Uh, sent up just in time by grants, uh, stopped that, so they had to turn back. And, of course, the, the fortifications were pretty strong there. One wonders if they really could have broken through, even without reinforcements. But uh, and the president, uh, Abraham Lincoln, was on the, the parapet of Fort Stevens at one point watching that. So, And one uh, of Rhodes' soldiers commented in his diary that he saw a number of civilians, as he put it, well-dressed civilians, on the parapets of Fort Stevens, not realizing, perhaps, that he uh, may have glimpsed uh, President Lincoln at the time. So if uh, uh, a soldier near Lincoln was wounded, then if, if a bullet had struck Lincoln, it would have been one of Rhodes' men. That's interesting. That would have fired well it. Be. That could very well be, yeah. Well, the, the raid uh, uh, fails, uh, certainly to take Washington or even to distract Grant. They retreat back to the Shenandoah Valley. And then you've got Sheridan's uh, men following up in a series of battles, uh, of which the the one most relevant to our story here is, of course, the Battle of Winchester in September of 1864. Uh, tell us what happens there. Uh, September 19th, Sheridan uh, pushes through some 40,000 men, and it's just Ramser with 2,000 holding the position in front of Winchester. And so uh, Early pulls up Rhodes' division and sends them to the left of Ramser, and during the fighting, Rhodes is uh, struck behind the ear in the skull by either a shell fragment or a bullet. And uh, he just pauses for a brief moment and then falls hard to the ground, mortally wounded. And uh, that, uh, with the music playing in the background, tells us we're out of time just as Rhodes' story comes to a, uh, a violent end. Uh, at the Battle of Winchester, but somebody who, who was in the thick of the fighting at all these battles, and finally one battle too many, uh, proves to be his last. Well, I wish we had more time to talk about this, but I will tell the readers, uh, tell our listeners, they will enjoy reading uh, about Major General Robert Rhodes. Uh, our guest and author today has been Daryl Collins. Daryl, thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much, dear. I really enjoyed it. And listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio.
Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. 